uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, a ministry worth imitating. A ministry worth imitating. 1 Thessalonians 2. We finished up chapter 1 last week. Uh, by the way, these are online. They're loaded online the next day, too. If you were on the trip last week and want to listen to last week, so feel free to do that. Uh, for you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Uh, you know, I could say on the one hand that tonight's message has special application, obviously, to me as someone in ministry, but I don't want to neglect the fact that it also has great application for you. Because Ephesians 4 says that you are to be equipped for works of service too. You have a ministry from God. You're in the ministry, whether you realize it or not. And so these are words, really, that apply to all of us and the way we conduct ourselves in our service for the Lord. You know, in recent decades, we have unfortunately had many disappointments uh, in Christian circles. Think of all the various leaders that have done something to cause great disappointment in Christian circles. I mean, we could talk about people like Jimmy Swagger or Jim Baker or whoever might come to your mind, but it's been a plethora of them. But Paul, on the other hand, he lays out the type of ministry that he had. Uh, now, whereas in chapter 1, Paul focused on the Thessalonians themselves and how they had received the gospel, in chapter 2, he's going to focus in on himself, his ministry. 
Uh, and we're going to see that it was a ministry that anybody could be proud of. And it's the type of ministry we ought to try to emulate. Uh, we see in the text that words alone don't make a ministry. The ministry involves our very lives. Now, it seems like the context was that there were some at Thessalonica that were maybe complaining against Paul because he had to get out of town so quickly because of uh, the riots and all that were in town and how the disciples sent him on to Berea and from Berea to Athens. Uh, maybe some were being critical or something that he left too soon. We're not, we're not really sure, but that might be the background behind some of his words here. Uh, but again, what we see is the type of ministry that he lays out for them that he had. And I want you to see, first of all, that he mentions that his ministry was fruitful. Look at verse 1 again. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now, the word vain here in the Greek text can mean empty. It can mean without fruit or without any good result. So empty, fruitless, without any good result. Uh, and Paul says, our coming to you was not like that. It wasn't without fruit. It wasn't useless. It, 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 didn't, it, it, it wasn't empty. Uh, yes, Thessalonica had been a very difficult field of service. Uh, you remember back to Acts chapter 17 again, because of jealousy, the Jews formed a mob. They accused the Apostle Paul of acting against the decrees of Caesar and claiming that there was another king, King Jesus. And so the disciples sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Uh, and they, they began to try to undermine the work in Thessalonica that Paul had started. And so I think it's safe to say the work at Thessalonica had a very difficult beginning. And because of that, somebody might be tempted to say, you know, there wasn't much that was accomplished there. And that would be the wrong assumption. Uh, Paul says in verse 1, we don't have to worry that our work there was in vain, that it was empty, that there were no results. I mean, just think back to what he said in chapter 1, all that had happened among the Thessalonians. It was a very fruitful field of service in the midst of extremely difficult circumstances. Uh, Paul said in chapter 1, verse 5, and also chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he talked about them becoming a changed people. The gospel really changed their entire lives. It set them on a whole different course. Folks, one way we can always give ourselves a spiritual checkup is in regard to fruitfulness. Do we see life change? Are we and other lives being changed by the gospel? You know, we don't want to evaluate things simply on the externals, you know. Somebody might say, oh man, we had a good service. We had a big offering Sunday. Or the music was particularly to our liking or something like that. Or, you know, all kinds of questions like that. And are those the type of things that you judge ministry by? No. 
There's more to ministry than these externals. It's usually people who are very shallow, spiritually shallow and immature who actually judge based on those externals. Are lives being changed? Are people responding to the gospel? Are we growing in spiritual maturity? Are we leaving the church that afternoon and putting the Sunday school lesson and the sermon into practice? Folks, those are the things that we need to judge by. If true worship is taking place, one thing we know is it is not in vain. It is not empty. It is not fruitless. If it's a matter of simply going through the motions to say we've been there and done that, then it would be vain. It would be empty. Paul says again, when, I, when we came to you, our ministry among you was not in vain. It was not without fruit. It was, it was not all for nothing. Because many of you were saved, and not only were you saved and changed, but as he said at the end of chapter 1, they actually in turn began impacting the whole region where Thessalonica was located. So a very visible difference the gospel had made in them. Uh, I want to say something about stewardship in a moment, have you turn to another passage, but I'm going to hold off on that for a minute. Secondly, Paul's ministry was characterized by integrity. Look again at verses 2 to 6. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ." Paul uses no less than eight points here uh, to describe the integrity that he and Timothy and Silas had. Uh, you see, first of all, there in verse 2, boldness to share the gospel even when it's not easy to do so. Even when it's not easy to do so. And he mentions Philippi. Do you remember what happened in Acts chapter 16 at Philippi? Paul and Silas were put in jail. You remember that? Paul was treated shamefully. He was a Roman citizen as well as being a Jew, and yet he was unlawfully cast into prison. When they found out he was a Roman citizen, they let him out quickly. Uh, it's important to remember, though, that he was not thrown into prison because of any wrongdoing that he had done. He was thrown into prison simply for talking about Christ. And after that experience, a lot of people maybe would have wanted an easier assignment. Maybe they would have wanted to say, you know, in the next town, I'm going to tone it down again. I don't want to end up in jail again. Uh, there's, there's a lot of pastors around the world who've gotten in trouble for simply... Preaching the scripture. You may remember the case of the pastor from England 
was arrested and put in, put in jail back in 2010 for saying homosexuality is a sin. He was arrested for that. Uh, some have gotten into trouble for telling congregations that a person has to be born again. They've got to be converted. Uh, believe it or not, there's some that don't like preaching like that. Some get into trouble for preaching about tithing, for instance, or if they speak against abortion. And sadly, what some ministers do is they simply sidestep those difficult topics so they don't rub feathers the wrong way. That shows a lack of integrity because we are to preach the whole counsel of God. And that's why I like going through studies of books of the Bible because you have to cover what's next, whether it's a topic that people like or not. Uh, we've got to remember, folks, the message is not ours. It is the Lord's. And so Paul says, even after suffering, we were bold to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Paul didn't say on the road between Philippi and Thessalonica, Silas and Timothy, let's, let's lighten up the message a little bit. Let's change it a little bit. He didn't do that. And in acting the way he did and preaching the whole counsel of God and preaching even difficult things, he becomes a model for every leader, every servant, in every single gospel preaching church today. He becomes a model. Are you sure, Folks, are you sure he's a model not of, uh, equal to Jesus in many churches? You what now? I think in some churches he is put on the same level as Jesus. Sure. And that... That's sure, sure. Some some would talk about Paul as almost you think he was sinless or something. I mean, we know that's not, not the case. Pastor, <laughs> in the last two weeks, I dreamed about you. Okay. <laughs> I you got up in the pulpit and you said, when I'm in prison, how many of you are going to come visit me? <laughs> and everybody was just shocked. <laughs> and then you said, well, the way the world is going, I'm going to end up there. And that was so real. And then I said to Joe, did pastor say that? That's <laughs> Most dreams I have about me preaching, uh, it's, you know, the service is started. I have no idea what I'm going to preach. <laughs> and, and, you know, after being in the ministry, you could find something. I mean... <laughs> But I, can, I honestly, from Genesis to Revelation, I can't find anything. And I mean, the music's going, and uh, and even back in the days where you collected an offering, special music, even that's happening, and the special music is over, and I'm walking up to the pulpit, I have no idea what I'm going to say, and I'm in a I wake up in a panic. So anyway, that, that's a nightmare. <laughs> that dream happens about once a year. But anyway. But again, um, Paul becomes a model for every servant of the Lord. His integrity in handling the scripture. And remember what he said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when Paul knew his, his life and ministry was about over. You know, he said, I fought the good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. 
you know, he was telling, he was passing the baton there to Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. That is when it's convenient, when it's not. Reprove, rebuke, and encourage different kinds of preaching. He goes on to say, for the time will come when a lot of people won't endure sound doctrine, but they'll just accumulate for themselves teachers to tickle their itching ears, and they'll turn aside to myths. So Paul modeled what he later told Timothy to be careful to do. Well, you'll see, secondly, under this, under his integrity, uh, look at subpoint B. Our, he says, our exhortation did not come from error. Uh, he didn't preach false doctrine. <laughs> Folks, as ministers of the gospel, we got to study the word of God so we make sure we're speaking the truth and speak the truth in love and that we're not teaching error. He says, nor from impurity. Then he says, nor was it in deceit. Remember what he said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4? We've renounced hidden things. In other words, there was nothing suspicious or hidden about Paul's life. What you saw was what you got. Verse 4, uh, he says, they spoke as those who seek to please God. And notice what he says here that, man, it's astounding. That they were approved by God to what? Be entrusted with the gospel. You see that? The gospel is a sacred trust. Paul was approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Think about that. Folks, we're stewards of the gospel. Stewards don't own anything. We don't own the gospel. It's God's gospel. And God has entrusted us as a church with the gospel. Think about the implications of that. Folks, it's serious business that we're about. It's not our message, it's His. We don't own it. We can't change it. We're to faithfully teach and preach what it says. And the Bible says one thing that's got to be true of, of stewards is that we must be found faithful. And we've got to preach and teach and live out the gospel as those who are going to stand before God one day and give an account. You're stewards. All of us here are. You know, I think uh, a passage I want you to write down, we won't read it all right now, but in uh, Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verses 14 and following, the parable of the talents. You know, it, it, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. But he came back one day, and when he came back, that was judgment day. Now, what's that parable telling us? Christ going away, distributing gifts to people, 
and we're to carry on with what we what has been entrusted to us, and he's coming again one day. To one he gave five, to one he gave two, to one he gave one. And each one was to be responsible and faithful with what they've been given. The one given two talents received the same commendation as the one who received five talents. They were both faithful with what they've been given. Folks, it's important. Stewardship's important, and we're going to give an account one day for what we have done with the gospel. He goes on to say there in verse 5, they didn't use flattery. You know, usually when people flatter somebody, there's some kind of underlying motive in it. Uh, they want to gain something personally. They'll butter people up. It, flattery is really just a subtle form of manipulation. He says in verse 5 also, they were not greedy. Then it goes on in verse 6 to say, we didn't seek glory from men. So put simply, what all is Paul talking about here? Go back to the main point here, the second point. What's Paul talking about here? Integrity, exactly. Integrity. And folks, if you lose it, it's hard to get back. Don't lose your integrity in how you handle the scripture. Don't lose your integrity in how you conduct your personal business, your personal life. The gospel demands that we be men and women of integrity. A third thing I want you to see about Paul's ministry. It was caring. Caring. He says in verse 7 and following, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who called you into his own kingdom and glory. Two images Paul gives here that come right out of the family structure. That describes how his ministry had been. These two images complement one another. What are the two images you see here? A what? A nursing mother. A nursing mother. And a father. Yep. Different roles, but complementary. First of all, he goes with the image of a nursing mother. A mother gives not only of her time, but she invests her life in her child. She labors day and night. A, a mother is a perfect image of self-sacrifice and giving for others' needs. And then the image of the father. Uh, and he, he lists different things under, uh, under the father's role. Exhortation. Uh, comfort, char charging, 
we exhorted you, we challenged you, we comforted you, we charged you. Like, um, here's a mother caring for her children, nurturing and nursing her children, and, and the father giving that, that instruction for life. Now, why does Paul say that he these, these two images of the mother and father uh, characterized his ministry? So that they would conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So they themselves would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul says, just as a father exhorts and comforts and charges his children that they may grow up to be mature adults, that's the way I acted toward you. Paul was trying to prepare them for that day when Christ would return. Folks, one of these days, heaven and earth are going to be gone as we know it. We're going to be in the new heavens, the new earth, and God will have made all things new. Those who are saved and ready will be with the Lord. But you know what? Jesus said the majority of humanity will be where? In the lake of fire. He said, narrow is the path. Narrow is the gate and path to eternal life. But broad is the road to destruction. And many that travel that road. Think about, about that time when time as we know it is over. When our ministries are over. When hopefully we will meet people in heaven because of our witness and our ministry. Have we been proper stewards of the gospel now and admonishing people to get right with the Lord? Have we been preparing people for what happens next? You see, folks, everything we do, if you think about it, has eternal ramifications to it. It really does. And we need to conduct our lives and our ministries with that realization Everything we do, every day of your life, every day of my life, what we do, how we handle ourselves, has eternal ramifications to it. You know, we're not just doing what we're doing for the next month or next year or next ten years. What we do, we're doing for eternity. And Paul says this, this is how his ministry was among them. You know, there's, there's somebody I always think of, and I, and I know I've told you this story before. Some of you know this. Some of you probably have forgotten even if you heard it. But I think about Henry Morrison and his wife. Uh, Henry Morrison was a missionary. He and his wife, they were missionaries to Africa for 40 years. And on the way back to America, after being on the mission field for 40 years in one place, he began thinking, will anybody remember us? Will anybody greet us when we get back to America? And aboard the Morrison's ship was President Teddy Roosevelt. He had been to Africa big game hunting, as Teddy Roosevelt enjoyed doing. Well, as the ship was pulling into the harbor there in New York, 
Bands were there. They began to play. Thousands upon thousands had gathered. Everybody was holding up signs, cheering on the president, welcoming him back home, hoping his hunting safari and all had gone well. And as Henry Morrison, as the ships pulling back into the harbor, and he, he and his wife are standing there at the railing, and they're, they're seeing all of this, he became discouraged. He said to his wife, 40 years ago, you and I gave up everything to become missionaries in Africa. We left home. We left comforts. We said goodbye to family and friends. We have labored at times under very difficult circumstances. We've literally given our lives for the sake of the gospel. Now we come back home and here's the president who's been gone just a few days to enjoy his hobby of hunting. He comes back home and there's a ticker tape parade and, and bands and everybody's here cheering to welcome him. Will there be anybody to welcome us? His wife moved closer to his side. She put her hands up on his shoulders and said, Honey, there's something you need to remember. And he said, What's that? And she looked at him and said, We're not home yet. Right. <laughs> what we do, we do for the sake of eternity. And we need to remember that. I want to remind you, each of you, you're called. God invites you into ministry every single day. And it is to be a ministry with integrity that bears fruit. It's to be a ministry that's caring. Are you about the master's business? Or are you just about your business? Think about how you're marking time and how you're serving the Lord and investing in people for the sake of the gospel. Are you doing that? You know, it won't matter one day how much we made, how many sales we made, whatever the case may be. Were we a part of what matters to Jesus? Were we a part of his church? Were we a part of his ministry? Were we faithful and fruitful? Did we exemplify integrity? You know, a lot of people today just want to say that church is full of hypocrites. Well, what better place for hypocrites to be? Church is hospital for hypocrites. Probably a little bit of, there's a little bit of hypocrisy in all of us. What a great place for hypocrites to be. To get that right with the Lord. Uh, but don't lose your integrity. That what you do for the Lord. Wouldn't be counted by people anymore. Do we care about people? Jesus cared. He saw people like sheep without a shepherd. He cared. He put feet on his feet to his compassion. Do we do the same? <laughs> You have a ministry. What kind of ministry is it? Any comments? It's powerful. Something we've 
do need to do, and some of us have a message to, to send out and do it. And we're thankful for those people. Yes. But we need to do it too. Yeah. Go out and talk. We've had a blessing to do some of that. Amen. You know, as Paul's talking, thinking about that, as Paul's talking about his ministry among the uh, Thessalonians, think of some of the people in your life in the past who marked your life in a special way with the gospel, impacted your life in a very special way with the gospel. Think about some of those people and the way they conducted themselves. I bet you, you could say much the same about those people that Paul was saying about himself here. It was because of the way they conducted themselves, that's why they impacted you so much. Amen. Think of some of those examples, people who have been like mentors to you.
you don't know how that those repercussions uh, affect different people, you know. They said, wow, they let you have this church for for nothing. They were talking about it, but they didn't even know the people, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Amen. They, they weren't <coughs> They weren't in it for money. Yeah. To make a bunch of money off of weddings. Yeah. <laughs> you eloped? Hi, <laughs> <laughs> um, I bumped into um, the daughter-in-law of um, Joyce Seeger uh, in a store not too long ago. She was, we just, you know, just started talking, and she was talking about um, she used to do the prison ministry. And uh, this one time, they, they, so when she was doing it, uh, at one point, all the windows were on one side of the hall, and you had to press up against the other side so that they wouldn't reach out their little hole and, you know, hurt you. And they were all women. She was in the women's prison. And then she said, um, later on, they redid the prison, and then they were on either side, and she just kind of had to stand <laughs> very carefully so that nobody could, you know, reach out and, and do anything to harm her. Um, and it was kind of intimidating. And she said this one time she was there and she was um, delivering the message and this one lady just kept screaming and yelling and just cutting up anything she could do to distract or try to derail her from being able to continue teaching the message. And so she said that she just kept teaching to the other ones because they seemed to be trying to listen. But it was very hard to focus and, and, you know, very unnerving. And she said about three years later um, in her church, there was a lady that had come and she had asked to borrow, she just happened to ask them, could her, could she borrow their, her cell phone to call an Uber for a ride and um, home? And they said, well, her, she and her husband said, well, where do you live? We'll just drive you home. And so, and they kept thinking, you know, where do I know you from? And, you know, they both had that feeling but couldn't figure it out. And so as they were driving her home, they come to realize, uh, the, the young girl came to realize, you were that lady that came into the prison, and I was a prisoner. She said, I, I was dating somebody that was on drugs, and both of us have, you know, rehabilitated. And she said, I was under so much conviction I was doing everything I could to scream and holler and disrupt so that I couldn't hear what you were saying because I was under so much conviction. Wow. And yet she remained faithful and delivered the message even under that very difficult circumstance. And the Lord used that for this lady to become a Christian. Amen. We just don't know the don't side know of the Lord. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 